Our call to worship today is Psalm 100. Although our gates with thanksgiving that we enter is much different than normal, yet the sentiment of the psalm remains the same. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Hello, Creston Church. We are glad you could join us for our remote worship service. 
We pray that you will have a rich time of worship with us, and that you might encounter the living God in our worship and message. We know that the living God is with us, wherever we are, and he greets us with these words. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the fullness of the Spirit which is before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, and the ruler of the rulers of this earth. Amen. May God be honored and may we be blessed as we worship him and hear his word to us today. Dear God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the blessing uh, in order to worship you this morning. Please bring us closer to you. Um, use your Holy Spirit to connect us to you and to our crest and family worshiping both near and far away. Open our minds and hearts as we draw towards you in worship um, and listen to what you have to teach us today. Thank you for your mercies. Um, help us to remember them during the service. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 
It's so easy to deny our own sin. We point the finger at other people. We blame a situation. But you know what? God knows all about our sins and failures. And so we might as well confess. <laughs> Hear the words of uh, John in Revelation chapter 3. These are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and wear white clothes so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Let us pray. God, we know that you see everything and you see how often we fail to honor you as holy. You see how we put you among all the other gods in our life. God, you see our pride. God, we need your help to humble ourselves before you and to say, Lord God, forgive me. Make me new. Make me a new person. Thank you, Lord, that you are rich in mercy and grace. In Jesus' name. When we come to Jesus in humble repentance, he is eager to receive us. Listen to the rest of chapter 3 in Revelation. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father God, thank you that through the blood of Jesus, you, you forgive us all our sins. And God, we, don't, we can't begin to understand your invitation for those who have overcome through the blood to sit with you on your throne. Thank you, God. You deserve all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. Thank you, that Jesus, that you ascended into heaven and you sit at the right hand of God and you invite us to join you there. We praise and thank you, Lord Jesus. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen.
Degage offers help and hope to individuals experiencing homelessness and other disadvantages in our community, addressing both immediate and long-term needs. You can give via mail or through the donate tab on the church website and weekly update emails. Please be sure to clearly indicate the ministry you would like your offering to go to. As we have been blessed, let us also be a blessing to others with our gifts of money. For announcements and church news, see the latest Friday email. It has updates and information on what is happening in the Creston Church family and in our ongoing ministries. While our physical meetings have been restricted, the Friday email gives us the opportunity to hear from each other and be encouraged by one another. So I suggest that you look at that if you haven't already. Creston Church is a praying church, and we now have the opportunity to go to the Lord with our joys and concerns from this past week. I will now read a number of prayer items we received this past week, and after each item I will say, In your mercy, and I invite you to respond with, Hear our prayer. We thank God for the service of outgoing council members at Creston, and we pray for those coming into council next month. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Jane's sister, Julie, had a scan last week that showed new cancer growth. They wouldn't know exactly what this means until her doctor's appointment this past Wednesday, but it was difficult news to hear. Julie did tell Jane that God had whispered into her ear, Isaiah 40, 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like the eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Hope had a doctor's appointment on Monday and was given official word that her scans were clear. The doctor is recommending she stay on the same treatment regimen every two weeks for the foreseeable future. She had hoped to switch to a monthly regimen but the doctor is worried about side effects, so they will continue with what's working, and she feels good about that. Her next scan will be in about four months. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let us now go to the Lord in our prayer for the people. Lord God, we praise you for your work in creation. As summer approaches, we thank you for the warmth of the sun, 
the green grass, and the color of plants starting to emerge. Though most aspects of our lives are disrupted these days, you are faithful in the changing seasons. We thank you for the means we have to connect as a church during this time, and we pray for the continued ministries we have online through our worship service, children's ministry on Facebook, online coffee fellowship after the service, and get-togethers on Google Meet. We thank you for those resources that allow us to see one another regularly for at least a short time. We thank you that the school year for many of our students is coming to an end. We thank you for the work of teachers and parents who had to adjust to allow the children to continue at least some of their learning until the end of the school year. Lord, we confess that we do not always obey you, and we have sinned against you and our neighbors this week. Forgive us when we fall back on destructive and unhealthy forms of coping, for the times we lash out in frustration at our family, and when we fail to put you above all others. Forgive us, Lord, for we know you are merciful and slow to anger. We pray for the Creston community and our wider world. We pray for an end to this pandemic. Be with all who are sick and under treatment at this time. Guard them and keep them as, as they go to the doctor or hospital, and that can carry great risk for some. Be with healthcare workers as they deal with the added demand and stresses of their jobs. Comfort them and give them the rest they are in need of. Be with other workers who put themselves at risk so we can get the things we need. We pray for those who mourn, who have lost a loved one, and are perhaps unable to mourn in the usual manner because of the restrictions we face. Give them an extra measure of your grace and comfort. We pray for the international, national, regional, and local leaders who need to make decisions and implement measures. Give them wisdom and clarity amid the sea of opinions they find themselves faced with, so that they may make the best decisions they can during this difficult time. We pray for those in mid-Michigan who have lost their homes and their livelihoods in the dam breaches earlier this week. Comfort them and provide for them in this difficult time. While many of us continue to mourn the loss of normalcy in our lives, we pray to you in the hope and comfort that you hold us in your mighty hand of deliverance. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We thank God that our children continue to hide God's word in their hearts. My young friends have even made some videos of themselves as they share their efforts at memorizing scripture. You are an inspiration to us. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God in his good times, he'll lift you up. If you will humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God in his good times, he will lift you up. If you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, in good times, he will let you up. 
be humble under God's powerful hand so he can lift you up when the right time comes. Give all your words to him because he cares about you. Let him have all your worries and cares for he is thinking about you and watching everything that concerns you. Our children have a special opportunity to join in on their own children's worship through a video that has been made especially for them. We pray for God's blessing on these, our young friends. It's Ascension Sunday today. That means that this past Thursday, as I've been writing to you about, was Ascension Day, 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we take this Sunday to recognize, to remember, and to celebrate the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ into heaven. In some ways, we could adjust our saying that we often uh, recite together, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ is coming again, because today we can insert a third or a fourth item into that statement of faith when we say, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ has ascended, Christ is coming again. With those thoughts in mind, I invite you to take your Bibles, and we're going to be reading two passages today. Um, the second one, you might want to just put your finger in or put a piece of paper in that text, which is Ephesians chapter 1, Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. And then the first passage that we're going to read comes from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. So I'll give you a moment to find those two sections. The second one will be Ephesians chapter 1 and then Acts chapter 1. I invite you to join me in prayer before we read these words from God's Word. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of all creation. You teach us by your word. Open our hearts to your spirit and lead us on the paths of Christ your Son. All praise and glory be yours forever. Amen. We begin our reading from Acts chapter 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses. This is the account of the ascension of Jesus. And if you pay attention to the Revised Common Lectionary, this is one of the texts for this Sunday, as is our Ephesians passage. Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days 
you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And then to Paul's epistle, epistle to the Ephesians, chapter, chapter 1, and we will begin reading at verse 15. Paul writes, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exalt, exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This past week, I googled this question. How do I build good friendships? Needless to say, there were millions of results. I took a look at some of the more reputable sites and found many common descriptions of healthy friendships. Things like listening, acceptance, honesty, kindness, non-judgmental understanding, and confidentiality. But far and away, the most common feature of healthy friendships on these websites is the need to spend quality time together. By spending time enjoying one another's company, friends have the opportunity to get to know each other better. And knowing each other makes the friendship stronger. Good friends who regularly spend time together get better and better at listening, accepting one another, being honest, showing kindness, and understanding each other. Good friendships take time to cultivate. 
Of course, it's pretty obvious that if friends don't spend very much time with each other, then it's usually pretty difficult to maintain a deep relationship filled with understanding, a listening heart, acceptance, kindness, and all those other deep friendship qualities. Time. Time is one thing that the Apostle Paul shares with the Christians in Ephesus in today's western Turkey. Acts 20 verse 31 tells us that Paul spent three years in Ephesus as their pastor. Paul makes his third and final brief visit to the Ephesians on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. We see the depth of their friendship in their tears, their hugs, their kisses, as they say their final goodbyes to Paul before he boards the ship to Jerusalem, where he will be arrested and sent on to Rome. The common bond between these people and Paul is their faith in Jesus Christ. As their pastor, Paul spent those three years introducing them to his triune God, who is able to rescue them from their former life of being hostile or being afraid of those hostile spirits and powers. And now, about a dozen years later, Paul writes this letter of Ephesians to his dear friends while he is in prison in Rome. Over the years, Paul has heard many good things about this church that he planted. Their faith in Jesus has not weakened and they continue to show love toward each other. But as Paul spends his time in prison in Rome, he continues to pray for them, and he shares the thoughts of his prayer in this letter. Paul is concerned about what might happen to the strength of their faith if these Ephesians don't continue to deepen their understanding of the message of the gospel. Paul knows that even though they learned and accepted the basics of Christianity over a dozen years earlier, the depth of their spiritual journey with God could be so very much deeper. We're not so very different, are we? Most of us here today know the Apostles' Creed. Many of us can recite the Lord's Prayer from our memory. We've got a pretty good handle on the Ten Commandments, too. All very good things. In fact, throughout the history of Christianity, these three items, the creed, the prayer, and the commandments, have formed the foundation of training for children, for young people, and for brand new believers. But there could be so much more. What if someone asked you today about the whole point of being a Christian? What could you say? Has your understanding grown since you first acknowledged Jesus as your Savior? What's your prayer life like? Do you have a good grasp of any of our reform documents, like the Heidelberg Catechism or the Belgic Confession? Do you know God more deeply as a person today? than you did, say, a decade or two or three ago? Of course, Paul is hundreds of miles away from his dear friends who live in what is now present-day Turkey. 
There's no way he can keep on being their teacher, their pastor and mentor, since he's far away in prison in Rome. So Paul does something better. He prays. If anyone can guide these Christians in Ephesus, God certainly can. Paul is so pumped up about wanting his friends to know God more deeply that he prays a prayer of thanksgiving, all entwined with his request. It's a little tough for us English readers because this entire prayer is just one single sentence in Greek. 169 words in Greek. Take a look at the order of worship and you can see the basic design of Paul's prayer. At the heart of it is Paul's desire for God to help the Ephesians to know more deeply about the big truths of the gospel rather than stay in a static holding pattern with just a basic understanding. The Greek gives us a lot of help in grasping what Paul is saying. Throughout this very long sentence are many verbs, those words that show action. And almost every one of those Greek verbs carries with it a sense of ongoing and continuous action or results. This means that an abbreviation of Paul's prayer goes something like this. God, please keep on giving my Ephesian friends wisdom and revelation so that they can keep on knowing and learning about hope, inheritance, and God's power. Paul prays that the spiritual journey of these first century believers will actively become richer deeper, stronger, not just remain at the same level as when they first heard and believed in Jesus some 12 or 15 years earlier. Verse 17 and 18 indicates the central result that Paul is praying for, so that you may know him, and in order that you may know three things. In Paul's day, the word know or knowledge involved much more than simply learning facts and con concepts. Here's how Peter O'Brien puts it in his commentary. He writes, Knowing Paul's view of knowledge is largely determined by the Old Testament. To know God means to be in a close, personal relationship with him because he has made himself known. There is an obedient and grateful acknowledgement of his deeds on behalf of his people. The knowledge of God begins with a fear of him, is linked with his demands, and is often described in knowing his will. In the Old Testament, as well as in the writings of Paul, knowledge is not a fixed quantum but rather something that, that develops along in the life of people as they are obedient. Paul is pretty specific about how he prays for this developing and growing knowledge. Three things, but wow, are they big things. 
rich truths of the gospel to understand more and more. First of all, that the Ephesians would know what is the hope to which he has called them. Notice that this verse does not say their calling, but rather God's calling. Not about what each of them would do with their lives, as in some kind of ministry or occupation. God called each of the Ephesian Christians before the creation of the world to belong to him, as it says earlier in verse 4. This hope is about looking forward to the completion of the salvation process when everything comes together in Christ. Paul prays that God will help his friends to understand more deeply this amazing future, this hope which already belongs to them. Second of all, Paul prays that the Ephesians would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints. Again, Paul says God's inheritance, not their inheritance. What a phenomenal thought. God inherits something. He receives something glorious. God's inheritance will be his people that he has rescued. God looks at his people through the sacrifice of Jesus, and because of Jesus, God receives them back from the dead. This is God's biggest project, to buy back human beings so that they can show off the riches of his glory. Think of it. Paul prays that the Ephesians can get a hold of understanding this profound and special idea of them as being God's inheritance. And thirdly, Paul prays that the Ephesians will know more and more what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for them as believers. Many of the Ephesian believers have come to believe in Jesus after living a life full of evil spirits and being surrounded by a dark culture focused on magic and cults and other spiritual powers. When Paul prays for them to hold on more and more to God's power, the Ephesians are comforted to remember that God's power has no match anywhere in the universe. God's power can't even be measured. Paul can't stop praying and praising God for his power. The most impressive evidence of God's power is Jesus' resurrection and is his ascension to heaven to be seated at God's right hand. And then Paul still doesn't stop talking about God's power. More extraordinary things happen because Jesus sits at God's right hand. Jesus is above every single thing, every kind of position of power, and every possible person or being, now and in the future. And so if Jesus is above all, then that means that God has put everything and everyone under him, under his authority. God put Jesus above all things for the benefit of the church, who has a special relationship 
with Jesus. This past Thursday was Ascension Day, and today on Sunday we are celebrating the powerful event of that day, which we sometimes call the exaltation of Christ. Today we celebrate the power of God to lift Jesus up from this earth through the heavens and seat him at God's right hand. Two thousand and some years later, we live in that same time frame, just like the Ephesians, who learned of the ascension of Jesus from the Apostle Paul. Jesus continues to sit at the right hand of the Father, above all powers and beings, as the head of his church. We are part of the same church as those Ephesians. We are part of Christ's body, right along with Paul and his dear friends from Ephesus. Paul's prayer is for us, just as it was for those Ephesians, that we will keep on receiving God's wisdom and revelation so that we can continue to grow and deepen our knowledge and understanding of our Savior, Jesus, and of the magnificent truths of the gospel. There's that whole ongoing continuous concept again. God has no desire at all for us to remain in that same spiritual spot in our lives where we only know the simple message of the gospel that we learned long ago or even just last month. To be sure, our belief in that simple gospel message is all that's necessary for our salvation. Because of our sin, Jesus died to pay our death penalty so that once again we can be acceptable and clean in God's eyes. But Paul's prayer is for us to experience so much more. Paul himself has been on a spiritual journey that began with an introduction to Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He spent his entire ministry listening and following God into an ever-deepening relationship. He's a great model for us. But this can be a challenge for us in so many ways. We wonder how to be open and vulnerable enough to receive God's wisdom and revelation. If we have even the tiniest imagination of what such a growing life might look like, we're sure that it might take some time that we're not sure we're ready to commit to. And if we're brutally honest with ourselves, we might even be afraid of such deep intimacy with God. Our culture and society provides us with plenty of displays and experiences of power. Maybe the description of God's power has lost some of its punch for us. Okay, so these are a bunch of challenges to our moving forward in knowing our God, especially in reveling in the display of his power. But Paul prays for God to lead the way. And now it's our job to let our eyes be opened. Surely at least some of these ideas will prompt you to dare to go deeper with God. 
For example, God's best resource for our learning is Scripture. Nothing new there. But we do have to open the book on a regular basis. Maybe committing to a, a Bible reading plan or a daily office or order of service, if you will, that combines scripture with prayers and songs using either a book or a resource on your electronic device. Prayer. At the very least, do it. Pray at the table. Pray before bed. Pray when you wake up. Pray out loud. Write your prayers down in a journal or on a sheet of paper that you could offer in a holy burning from time to time. Writing keeps us on track. Remember to also leave some quiet time to meditate. That's when we give God time and space to speak to our hearts. Read books about the character of God and all his mighty acts. Join a group to talk about what you've read. Attend a Bible study. Listen to trustworthy preachers and teachers in addition to what you hear on Sundays here at Creston Church. And then there's time. It takes T-I-M-E to get to know God deeper and better. There is no substitute for this. Sometimes our fear of intimacy of God and with God holds us back. In his book called Body and Soul, Reclaiming the Heidelberg Catechism, Craig Barnes writes this, I remain confounded by how many people prefer the mystery they know to the... Sorry, I said that wrong. How many people prefer... prefer the misery they know to the mystery they don't know. Logically, mystery is better than misery. But the human soul has a way of looking back over the shoulder while on the hard and mysterious road to freedom. Our baptism is a way of remembering that we have passed through the water and have begun a mysterious journey with God in freedom. All of us who call ourselves Christian are on the journey somewhere between slavery and the promised land. My Creston Church friends, aim at that promised land of knowing God as well as the hope of his calling, the riches of his inheritance, and the greatness of his power. Sometimes there is great benefit to speaking aloud what we are celebrating here today the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead and to seat him at the right hand of the Father. The Bible tells of a number of people who were brought back to life, and today we hear reports of people who have had near-death experiences. But none of those people have been able to do what Jesus did through his resurrection. By rising from the dead, Jesus took away all the punishment for the sin of all who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. One man's death and resurrection is more than enough to cover whatever mess we've made with our lives. 
You want to talk about power? Contemplate that for a while, and then talk about it with one another. Talk about this power with people that you see during the week. The resurrection of Jesus is more powerful than every bit of sin in every time, in every place, and in every person. Wow. Amen. But the power of God doesn't stop there. God placed Jesus at his right hand, the place of honor, to continue to do wonderful things that no one is able to do. Jesus is ruling over everything, everything that can be imagined. And if he's over it, then that means that everything is under him. Every temptation, every fear, every invisible virus, every tragedy, every evil spirit is under the power and rule of Jesus Christ. God has placed Jesus at his right hand to be the head of the church, us, his body. I dare you to find anyone else who is able to do this. The Bible has lots to say about the benefits of the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. Here's how Heidelberg Catechism summarizes it in question and answer 45 and 49. For us to learn and continue to get a deeper understanding. It goes like this. First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are already raised to a new life. And third, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection. And then regarding the ascension of Jesus, what we're celebrating today on Ascension Sunday, the Catechism tells us this. He, first of all, is our advocate in heaven in the presence of his Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he sends his spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge. By the spirit's power, we seek not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is, sitting at God's right hand. Lots of words, lots of rich descriptions of God's power at work in his son Jesus. Earlier this week, while I was studying and preparing for this message, I discovered that even the commentaries that I was reading were filled with the thrill and excitement of more deeply understanding the power of our Savior's move from earth to heaven. For a moment, I even wondered about doing a dramatic reading from one of the authors. By learning even a little bit more this week, I wanted to know even more about my Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for you, my Creston friends, along with the Apostle Paul, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give each one of you a spirit of wisdom and understanding as you continue to come to know him, so that you may continue to know and learn what is the hope to which he has called you, that you may continue to know and learn 
what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, including you, and that you may continue to know and learn what is the immeasurable greatness of his power in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places. Amen. Let's pray together. Most High God, like the disciples, were left staring at the sky, mouths wide open in wonder, to think that someone like us, a real human being, now sits at your right hand in glory. In his physical absence, comfort us with the knowledge that Jesus has ascended for our good governing all things from the heavenly throne. Ascended Savior, fix our eyes on you, glorious and seated at the right hand of God. Let this vision of your heavenly reign, active, engaged, and working for your, our good, move us here on earth to live with a childlike humility in your care and steady courage in the face of opposition all the while finding joy and gratitude welling up within us, a life pleasing to you and a benefit to the watching world. That's a big order for you to deliver, O oh God, but you are faithful to do it. In your name we pray. Amen. People of Creston Church, as you enter into a new week, try not to dwell too much on the past, holding only to those things you've learned long ago, but make an effort to know Jesus more and more as your Lord and Savior, risen, 
ascended and always present with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now may the love of the cross, the power of the resurrection, and the presence of the living Lord be with you always. And the blessing of the eternal God, creator and sustainer, risen and ascended Lord and Savior, giver of holiness and love, be upon you now and evermore. Amen.